Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work. I'm your host, Ted McLean Lauren. Yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard, but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Hi everyone, Khadva here, and I'm here for a solo episode. I think it will be a shorter one, but who knows, might be much longer. I might run very long and boring, because in that case, I give you all the permission that you don't need <laughs> to listen on double speed or <laughs> just to skip on to the next amazing episodes. We have uh, some amazing guests that I'm very, very excited to interview next. And also, uh, in case you missed any of the latest episodes with Aisheva or Maya, uh, these are two of my favorites. So I definitely encourage you to go back and give them a listen. Can you hear that I'm a little hesitant to start this one? On the one hand, I'm super excited for this. I'm fired up. I just filled like pages of Google Doc, uh, writing all my notes for this one. On the other hand, not that we don't touch on touchy and deep subjects every week, but I feel this one is uh, super personal. Maybe also because I can't hide <laughs> behind a guest or even my amazing team that sometimes comes in for podcast recordings. It's all me, guys. So... At the top of this episode, I do want to mention trigger warnings for abortion, pregnancy loss, exhaustion, burnout, and you know what, 2020 to 2022, I think that should be a trigger too, honestly. So I will definitely understand if you need to take a break this week, but I just wanted to mention it off the top. So, okay, with that, let's start. Is it just me or has everyone seen so many different articles calling 2022 the age of anti-ambition? Uh, I, for one, have seen one article on The Cut, at least three articles on The New York Times, Time, and so on and so forth. Actually, The Cut even said 2022 may be the year my ambition truly dies, the, the uh, writer says. Her name is Emil Niazi, and she goes on to say, uh, this one I liked, uh, and to that I say, good riddance, bitch. I love that they put as the cover photo um, the photo of Andy and Hathaway's character from Devil Wears Prada. So I have a very tricky um, gut reaction to that. 
and my gut reaction has been very, very negative. Um, and I will dive a little bit deeper into that because my gut reaction and then the way that I've come to think about it after kind of examining it and going deeper into what causes that reaction are really differ from each other. So, you know, me and ambition, <laughs> we go way, way back as a millennial, as an elder child. And as someone who grew up in a community where women were expected to not work outside of the house, I kind of spent the last 20 years proving to the world, to my family, and to myself that I'm worthy of even participating in any kind of way in the workforce no matter how, you know, I remember, you know, when I grew up, I only had one aunt in the whole extended and very big family that worked outside the home. And my mom is now an amazing career woman. She's actually leading the way for um, treatment um, and therapy for people in the ultra Orthodox community who have suffered from, um, from trauma of trauma from sexual abuse. Uh, but back when I grew up, she was a homemaker. And so were all my aunts, all my mom's friends. Um, and even if some of them worked in like more traditionally female roles, they were expected to be home when their kids were home. Right. And I remember like I was very much appreciated for my intellect in my family and in my extended family both by my the men in my family as well as the women, but it went kind of without saying that when I'll get married young, which I did, I'll just stay at home and, and take care of my kids. And I remember when I got my first job being a receptionist at a diamond exchange in Israel, you know, at like much less... <laughs> I don't know how it was even legal, I and mean, perhaps it was not, but a lower, lower than the, you know, the minimum uh, wage at the time. I felt like the whole diamond exchange belonged to me. I would strut in the halls, getting coffee for my boss, wearing a blazer, even though I didn't need like bright eyeshadows, and just feel myself as if I'm in a room, like the heroine of a romantic comedy in New York City, just because I was able to participate. And that was huge for me. And that's why, you know, ambition for me, like even getting there to making, I don't know, $300 a month was so big and so not taken for granted. It required so much ambition. And then from there on, I just continued going from thing to thing, from role to role, uh, from creating my own roles mostly because I didn't believe that anyone else would give me a chance with my background. And the entire time feeling like I had a chip on my shoulder, I had something to prove predominantly, by the way, to myself, but also to people in my community, to people outside my community who were judging me because of where I came from. Um, and that's why when I hear about the anti-ambition or I see it in younger people, it's so hard for me because 
because my whole identity, my whole being is kind of dependent on that constant proving, right? Um, I used to joke that one day I'll have a TED talk called Entrepreneurship on Steroids. And think about it when we say that something is on steroids, right? Not in the, of course, not in the context of (laughs) um, sports people uh, (laughs) using them illegally. But we will say that a lot of times as a compliment, right? Whoa, she's really on steroids. She's getting things done. Like, how does she get it all done? How does she, like, how is her ambition so strong? How is she so fierce? And I think I heard that a lot as an entrepreneur as well. How does she get so much done on so little funding? How does she just not give up? How is she so resilient, right? By the way, resilience, another thing that I felt that I needed to prove. But then I ended up being on actual steroids for an eye disease that is a side effect of Graves' disease, uh, an autoimmune thyroid uh, condition that I have. And I ended up actually having to go into the hospital uh, every week for a half a day and then pretty much be out of it for the next one or two days and be hooked up to the IV and get steroids that kind of, you know, save your eyes, but also poison you, make you bloated, make you hormonal, uh, suppress your immune system. So that's how I came into uh, the first lockdown with like no immune system to talk to <laughs> uh, pretty much. And while I was doing that or while I was undergoing that, I was still trying to raise money for my startup at the time. I was managing my team. And at some point, there was kind of an inflection point where I was trying to do that. My my arm, my hand hurt because texting and emailing or doing calls while you have an IV in your arm, IV drip in your arm for like six hours is not the most comfortable thing. And I remember just asking myself, is it worth it? And saying also, or maybe asking myself, do I have to do that? How much is enough? And listen, I'm ambitious. I've always been. But those are such important questions. I can't stress it enough. Because ambition is good. Ambition is like, I I think it's a positive thing. I I don't want to talk about ambition as... um something that is toxic because I don't think it's inherently toxic. I think the toxicity of it is when it's the end all and be all. And I think a lot of us are asking ourselves these questions. Is it worth it? What is it the ends of the or the means, right? What is it doing to me? Do I have to? And I will say I wasn't brave enough at that point to answer those questions that I asked myself. It was COVID that came and the lockdown and the state of the market at the time, the volatility that eventually like led me to have to kind of face it um, head on <laughs> and answer these things and see if like another question, can I even do it, right? And at what price? But those are important questions. And that brings me to another question. Is this really the age of anti-ambition 
or maybe it's just the age of exhaustion. Maybe we've all been doing what we do, whether it's entrepreneurship, work, parenthood, being a good friend, being a caregiver. Maybe we've all been doing it on steroids uh, for a long time and especially for the last two years, right? And maybe we're all just really exhausted. In fact, I think most of us are. And when we talk about exhaustion, I won't even go into talking about, you know, COVID and the last two years and everything. I want to talk about something else, maybe that's not all of us go through, but many of us do as women, as people of color, as people from underrepresented groups, etc. And I'm, I'm not a person of color. I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm ultra-Orthodox, which is uh, an under, underrepresented group here in Israel. I'm a woman. <laughs> uh, so I recognize the privilege and I know I don't know even half of it, not even probably 10% of it, but I can only speak about my experience and I can also quote um, people who, with different experiences and, and, and try to, to have them here on the show and listen to what they say. Um, so one of the things when thinking about exhaustions that I was reminded of was an interview I did with the BBC back in uh, 2016 or 2017, I think, and Basically, uh, David Baker from the BBC and James Fletcher came to Israel, uh, to cover, uh, how the Torah world, so the ultra orthodox Jewish world and the tech world in Israel, which is very, very, uh, robust. We have, uh, more, uh, startups per capita than anywhere else in the world. How do they, these two worlds intersect? And they've, uh, interviewed many people. Some of us of them were excited uh, for that intersection, uh, like me, uh, and some of them were <laughs> very much not so, um, especially uh, people who were kind of worried of, like, um, maybe this will lead more uh, ultra-Orthodox orthodox Jews to become secular or stuff like that. But that's pretty much besides the point, to be honest, I will, I will uh, drop the... Um, link to this uh, podcast and article in the show notes if you want to check it out. But the one thing that I was reminded of was actually a question that David asked me at home. It was just like today. It was a Friday. I was cooking for Shabbat. And I don't remember the question so much as the answer. And the answer had everything to do with exhaustion. Um, so in the, in the podcast, if you listen to it, he says, uh, Chedva Kleinler really pulls off the balancing gap between being ultra orthodox and the secular tech world, uh, which is a compliment and I'll, I'll take it. And I think it's true, by the way, I will definitely, um, take it happily and not humbly. <laughs> um, but what I said to him about being in between, about doing the balancing act, about in many ways being that balancing act, is that there is a toll that it takes when you are the other, 
and it could be me being ultra orthodox, be me being a woman, could be being me uh, also growing up between the American and Israeli cultures. And of course, I'm sure it's much more, much sharper, much harder for people uh, with other backgrounds and less privileged than, than I have. And that tool is when you are the other and you have to invest time in understanding the mainstream and not only really getting all the references and knowing, you know, who Buffy is, <laughs> for example, which, you know, I enjoy and I love, I, I'm a fan of Buffy, not of Joss Whedon, but of Buffy, but it takes investment of time and of effort. And it's not just the understanding of the cultural references and being able to be part of conversations and to network and to have small talk and to get trust because trust is so much more than when you talk about a specific issue at hand of like, you know, whatever you're working on, you need to create that trust and that back and forth. And for that, you need to sound like those other people. And it takes such a toll when you are the only one who does that. It's expected, but nobody puts in the effort to understand you. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it's my life and I'm grateful for it. And I love having all those trivia, knowledge and facts and the breadth of pop culture <laughs> reference that I, that I have. Um, I'm, you know, Gilmore Girls in the West Wing are my comfort today, but it takes a toll. One such uh, example is names. And, you know, I joke about it every every episode in the beginning, on our intro, on Hedda Kleinler, and it's the least pronounceable name you'll ever hear. But you know what? Um, it's not the least pronounceable name if you come from my culture <laughs> or from my background. Um, just like for the star of Never Have I Ever, Maitreyi Ramakrishnan, her name would not be the least pronounceable name if you come from where her family has come, right? Um, and it takes a toll when people can't, um, can't do something as simple as pronounce your name. It takes a toll when you are actually, when you are kind of find yourself in the position of taking care of them and kind of saying like, oh, don't even, don't, don't even, don't even try. It's okay. I get it. Like, I'm sorry. My <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. And I found myself like many other people, uh, putting like a different name on my LinkedIn. I, I actually <laughs> had the <laughs> uh, convenience of having uh, a childhood nickname, Vivi, which is very easy for American and, you know, European people to pronounce, but it's also very funny because then <laughs> people call me Vivi and I'm like, huh? How do you know that? Because <laughs> that's like the nickname my, 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 only my dad uses. But the toll is not even people not being able to pronounce it, but you needing to think about it in advance and you need to think about, will it be hard for them or what will they think when they see this name on a resume or on a pitch deck? Right. And I loved what Maitreyi 
wrote, she actually did a voice memo a few years ago on Twitter, and I'll also drop that link in the show notes, which was like an eye-opener, because for me, I was, uh, you know, up until that point, I was like, yeah, of course, I'll make it easier for other people. And you know what? I still am not opposed to it. I'm just like more aware of what it entails and what's behind it. And she was like, I'm not asking people to change their accent for me. You can say Maitreyi instead of Maitreyi. Um, and I do hope that I'm pronouncing it right, by the way. Uh, she said, I'm not asking people to change their accent for me. I'm just asking for some basic respect. And there's another another article that I've had in my favorites for ages, actually since before uh, since this podcast has been even an idea, not this episode, the whole, this whole podcast about white and names and how people are expected to take different names, whether officially, you know, legally, or just if they um, if they work in customer uh, support or stuff like that. Just use an alias. And that's all that it takes when you can't, you know, there are so many TED Talks. There's so much material about being your full self. What is more opposed to being your full self than not being able to use your name or kind of apologizing for your name? I think that is the epitome of that. And I will say, like, in our conversation, in my conversation with Casey, a few, a few episodes back we talked about code switching i think with Hamutal, we also talked about names i will definitely check back like the resources that they have mentioned but think about it think about that think about uh hair being an issue for many black people and black uh, women especially uh and many other things you know i i suffer from alopecia uh it's an autoimmune disease where um you lose your hair, basically. Uh, there are many different kinds of alopecia. It was a lot of, it was pretty much in the news lately following the Oscars because that's what's, what Jada Pinkett Smith has. And I, I've had alopecia since I was seven years old. Okay. I lost my entire hair between I was seven and nine and I'm, I made my peace with it, right? I, I, this is part of who I am. I still do wear mostly wigs. Because that's what my parents wanted for me when they were worried that otherwise uh, people will not be kind to me, uh, which they weren't even with that. But I understand where they were coming from. But in the last two years, part of like working from home and just like kind of saying effort to the world, I was like, okay, but what if I what if I want to wear a hat? I still cover my head because that's you know that's what also what something that I do. Uh, it's part of being an ultra orthodox um, married woman, but what if I want to wear a hat? And there was a lot of freedom and kind of a sense of discovery in suddenly not wearing wigs all the time, but wearing hats. And I do have a glorious baseball cap collection with uh, captions like "As per my last email," out of office and stuff like that. And I do encourage you to uh, send me any links for any fun or funny hats, by the way. Uh, but I have found myself going to places where I somewhere go or mostly go uh, wearing a wig and then going uh, there wearing a hat. And people looking at me worried. Are you um, sick? Are you okay? And that really brought me back to being nine and my 
classmate, you know, at ninth, at like uh, third grade, uh, saying you for sure have cancer. Only your parents aren't telling you that because all people with cancer are bald. So that's that fun tidbit aside. How are we policing? Policing? Pausing? How people are pronouncing stuff? How people look? What names do they have? Again, I want to recognize my real village. I am talking from personal experience of like very, very, very tiny corners of this huge issue. But we have to recognize that all of this is definitely contributing to exhaustion. And how can you be ambitious? How can you go after your dreams? How can you even have dreams? What you're just plain exhausted. Another article uh, that I've read is about apathy. Uh, there was a Time article not long ago. Let's see. Uh, with, with some glorious cartoons. Uh, yeah, April 13th, 2022 by Lily Rothman, uh, saying it's harder than ever to care about anything. Um, and I think many of us can relate to that. And one of the things, one of the facts that she cites there is in the US, online news consumption fell significantly between late 2020 and late 2021. And of course, part of that was the administration change and the fact that people felt like they could allow themselves not to be glued to the news and be a little bit less concerned that something awful will happen in the minutes or in the second they're not glued to the news. Uh, but also there is so much going on. There is so much in our personal lives and in the government and in the world. And it's very, very hard to care when you're just all cared out. You're just exhausted, right? And I think we cannot discuss this without bringing on, right, what's happening this week in the U.S. with uh, Roe v. Wade, right? I don't want to go too deep into it because I honestly am not knowledgeable enough. And also, I find myself at kind of a weird position where I am religious and a lot of choices are not choices I would make myself, but I am still pro-choice to choose. And the fact that your body is your own body. So I won't say a lot, but I will say that it's a devastating week and it's just unfathomable to me how History can go backwards, right? It's just sad. And one thing I will say is that a person, a journalist that I follow very closely, and I hope to bring on on the podcast sometime sooner rather than later, is Avital Chizek-Golchnit. And she's a rabbitson. She's a, um, a rabbi's wife and a community leader and a, a, a Torah scholar. scholar in New York, uh, who's ultra-Orthodox, or Orthodox, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, it's interesting to hear how she, she defines herself, but I think, I think ultra-Orthodox is the right definition, 
And she's also an amazing journalist, and she writes for The Atlantic and for Forward and along many other great platforms. And I was following her very closely this week as she wrote about uh, Roe v. Wade and abortions. So first of all, as you may know, in Judaism, yes, we don't condone abortions, but the well-being, both mental and physical, of, of the mother, of the woman, takes precedence over that of a fetus. Definitely. Like, it's not a loophole, it's not anything, it's just black and white, which makes me very happy. And yes, a lot of times ultra-Orthodox Jews tend to go more traditional, etc., but it's blatantly true that the woman takes precedence over an unborn fetus, right? Having said that, uh, there is still so much shame and so much goes unspoken about this. And Avital did an amazing job interviewing ultra-Orthodox women about their abortion stories and about how hard it was for them. Uh, not only the abortion, because of course that, you know, is always hard, whether it's an abortion or a miscarriage or whatever. And, you know, as someone who has been in fertility treatments, and who has lost pregnancy, uh, I feel like I can say that, it's always hard. It's always going to also kind of make you confront how little control we have, but also about like the shame, the shame around it, and the hardship around it, and the, the community around it. And I think it's a really, really important read, so I'm going to drop that in the show notes too. And yes, <laughs> being a woman, in 2022, unfortunately, leads to, definitely contributes to exhaustion, which contributes to apathy, which contributes to it being very, very hard to being ambitious or to acting on your ambition. And on the other hand, still have to prove so much, right? So, uh, what I want to offer, first of all, is empathy. I don't have solutions. I don't have a magic pill or a golden ticket, but I do have a lot of empathy and love. And I want to be there for you. Know that I'm thinking about you. Know that it's okay to experience those things. And it's okay to think about yourself. And it's okay to ask yourself those questions. Is it worth it? Do I have to do that? At what cost? And it's okay too if you don't have answers to that or if you don't have the energy to confront those answers and to act on them. That's completely fine. That is more than fine. It's actually to be expected, right? But know that you can have those questions at the back of your mind and you can use them when you are ready to. So another thing, uh, again, I'm not trying to uh, find any solutions, but I did want to share what works for me. And it's not a magic bullet. Uh, it's just kind of those things to, to be aware of. And again, I recognize my privilege and everything I'm going to say now because 
these are things I can do because of my income, uh, the support I get from my environment, even my experiences, even my hard experiences have given me the perspective that helps me have the privilege to do those things, right? So definitely not right for everyone. And even if it is right for a lot of people, not necessarily accessible to everyone. But I will say, you know what, hear me out. And more than even sharing those things, I am actually curious and very, very open and very interested in hearing your thoughts about it. What works for you? What doesn't work for you? What are your thoughts and feelings and emotions when you're dealing with exhaustion, burnout, anti-ambition, <laughs> ambition that you don't have the energy or the means to act on? So I will say one very, very important realization for me, and I don't think it was clear to me that it will happen before it has, was that even as you reshuffle your life and you pivot and you reformat your work life or your life life, and you build it again in order to not have exhaustion, not have burnout, know that exhaustion and even burnout will come again. They will reappear because it's just a fact of life, right? We can't isolate our work or our life from what's happening in the world, from uh, hard times in the family, from shifts in government, from horrible government decisions, from things that happen to your kid and you're consume it consumes you entirely. So it will still happen. The question is, are you aware? Are do you understand your boundaries? Do you have your checks and balances? Do you understand that? Like do you know what fills your cup? It could be many different things. It could be things that are unrelated to work, like just taking a day off or reading a romance novel or making something yummy, right? Or it could be something very work-driven. Maybe it's like accomplishing even a small, tiny task that has been weighing on you, but just like crossing it off your list will fulfill you with like a sense of accomplishment and fulfill your cup. And it could be a sense of purpose. For me, by the way, this was a very big thing that I was worried of because when I was working on my startup on Emerge, I had a really big sense of purpose because we were working on a tool that helped people uh, have access to peer-to-peer mentoring and learning in their workplace in a very accessible and democratized way. And so even though we were working, you know, I was working specifically, you know, my, our tasks were about fundraising, about developing technology, about product. I had a very inherent, strong, all-encompassing sense of purpose. And one of my concerns and worries when I uh, shut, had to shut down Emerge and, and started my agency was, hey, now I'm just like going to write content and do marketing strategy for all different startups and doing a lot of things. Some of them are more meaningful and some of them are less meaningful. And by the way, thankfully, I can find meaning <laughs> in a lot of them. Like, where will my sense of purpose come from? And that was like, like a, I'm like kind of saying it offhandedly, but that was a real concern. And I did try to, I, I do try to supplement my work with pro bono mentoring and with other things that fill my cup. 
and kind of give me the feeling of being generous and of having my purpose. But one thing that kind of really stopped me on my tracks last week and kind of got me by surprise was something I didn't think that could kind of give me a sense of purpose. And so last week was Yom HaShoah, that's a Holocaust Remembrance Day in Israel. And it's a, it's always a very hard week in Israel because we have Yom HaShoah and then a week later we have Yom HaZikaron, which is Memorial Day. And in Israel, it's not, it's not a day of sales and discounts. It's a day of like very solemn feeling in the entire country. The radio only plays very solemn songs about the people we lost. It's about people who were lost in the wars, but also in terror attacks, which is Unfortunately, so many of us know at least one person. Many of us do many more than one person. And, uh, it's a, it's a real week of like loss. And then there's like the day after is Independence Day and it's so joyous and so out there and it's so amazing. And it's kind of the really, really kind of, uh, a good example of the roller coaster of being an Israeli. And, you know, I find myself, like so many people share on Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, and Yom HaZikaron, uh, Memorial Day, um, stories of their loved ones, their grandparents who were in the Holocaust or who survived or the people who they lost. And I find myself being very, very silent on these days. I used to be, as a kid, as a teenager, I was very invested in the Holocaust. I was reading a lot about it. I, I wrote articles about it. I spent days and days in archives and I, I, I played characters from the Holocaust and, and school plays. And it was really all consuming at one point. And then I, I kind of stopped and then I came back to it, but like tried to balance it just for my emotional and mental, uh, well-being. And I find myself on those days really being silent because I feel like, first of all, it's very overwhelming, which it should be, I think. I think it's, it's befitting those big things to have a few days that are overwhelming. It's okay. It's the least we can do. I find myself in a place where I want to listen more than I want to talk and broadcast my feelings. I want to really remember and, and hear. And, and, and be sad and not necessarily write about it. Um, but this Holocaust Remembrance Day, I was a little bit, um, and I think a lot of it is also because all the evil going on in the world right now with the Ukraine and everything that really puts into perspective the phrase never again. But I was like, you know, it's still a work day and I was on Slack writing, uh, texting with my team. And I was suddenly really, really overcome and teary-eyed just thinking about this group of women. We are eight women in five countries over uh, four continents, I believe, coming from su- such different, such different backgrounds, such different heritages, like just, just hearing our names, you know, by the way, going back to our names, we are Navridi, Naja, Madison, Lauren, Ayala, Michal, uh, Tashmika, and Khedva. We really come from all across. And thinking about this group of women who've come 
across nations, locations, religions, convictions, right? Political stuff, right? And we all work together. And we all really, you know, I don't want to say we're a family because I hate it when companies say that and organizations say that. And we're not. We're not. We work together. But we do have so much respect and love for each other. And on that day, I was just, you know, maybe it's an overreach, but that's what I felt. I was overcome by it. And I think that really fills my cup. So <laughs> I hope that helps you in some way or another. Another thing, and that's like going to the much, much more lighthearted part of things, is just understanding what's a good day for you, right? I actually had this conversation with uh, uh, my teammate Madison uh, last night. I was like, she was like, oh, wow, you're still on Slack at like midnight. And I was like, yeah, but it was such a fun day because it was Independence Day here in Israel. And I started the day by like working for like 15 minutes, going to a movie. I watched the new uh, Doctor Strange. Really recommend it. Uh, if you've seen it, write to me because I'm trying to discuss it with anyone, with anyone. Coming back home, working for another like 20 minutes, just reviewing some stuff, uploading some videos for, for a client cloud zone. Then, uh, going to a family barbecue, which was amazing. My mom went all out in decorations. It was glorious for a few hours. And then coming back home, taking a long nap, taking coffee and chocolate because I didn't eat meat at the barbecue <laughs> and working for like an hour, an hour and a half. And then taking my rich mom walk, which if you, if you follow Tinks, you know what it is. Uh, I would just like, <laughs> it's just like my regular walk that I do almost every day on my balcony. I just go walk back and forth while <laughs> watching TV on my phone or, or listening to podcasts. Doing 30 minutes of yoga making pasta with my kid after he's done his own workout and then just like checking in on Slack while listening to podcasts and tucking my kid in. It was glorious. And you know what? It's so simple. Again, not accessible to everyone, not accessible to me 99% of the time, but it's so important to know what fills your cup. And that's, that's exactly what Madison said to me last night. She was like, Oh, you're still working. So, so late. And I said, actually, this was a pretty ideal day. And she said, it always feels so wonderful to get to the end of the day and think, oh, that's a good one. I need to make a mental note of what's made it so good. And I think it's so true. So if you're exhausted, if you're feeling depleted, if you're languishing, and I don't know if you've read Adam Grant's article about languishing, but it's so good. I'm not saying that listening to podcasts and taking a rich mom walk on the balcony is even accessible to you let alone uh, will solve anything. Definitely not. But maybe next time you do have a good day or just like try to think about a good day that you did have amidst some hard stuff, like not a good day that you had just because everything was going your way. Maybe it could help to replicate it a little bit. Sometimes not. You know, sometimes you're so sad and so depleted that you do your favorite things and you're still, oh my God, this sucks. I can't believe I've done all my favorite things and still feeling so bad. But sometimes it does uh, work. And I do believe those things are really important, at least to me. And I would love to hear your thoughts about these things. I, I would really love to. So please, please feel free to drop me a note on my newsletter, on my social, or, you know, 
any any way you want. I'm trying to be better about sending out the newsletter every week. I know in the outro it says drops weekly, and so far I only sent three, but I'm trying to be more consistent about it. And I, I do want to share uh, also more articles that I read or podcasts that I've listened to or other content that I found helpful there. So definitely feel free to also send anything that works for you or anything that you've written or recorded and you feel like I should be aware of. By all means, get it and promote it uh, if, it's, if it's in line with what we're talking about right here on Looks Like Work. Uh, and also, if you think you're a good fit to be a guest here on the podcast and to talk about these subjects, I would love to hear from you. Okay, great. I'm going to wrap things up, get some work done, <laughs> cook some food for Shabbat, and send this off to our amazing producer, Amelia, so it could be ready sometime. And I can't wait to see you or for you to hear my next episodes with Adar and Amelia. And Boaz, they are really good ones. So see you. Have a great day whenever you're hearing this. And thank you so much for being a part of this. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Looks Like Work. You can find resources, links, and of course, the episode's show notes at roomsandwords.com. That's rooms, like a room, and words, and like an end.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I really, really hope that you'll like my newsletter too. My newsletter is something that I send out every week and I share thoughts, links, books, and just other things that I find thought-provoking, interesting, somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here, or sometimes just joyously distracting. Again, the newsletter is sent out every week and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com and I really hope to see you there and of course to see you here next week. Have a good one.